Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're going to look at uh, just some, uh, uh, a couple of, really, we're going to look at a lot of things on, in 2 Timothy, uh, but I'll introduce it to you in just a moment. But let's cap off, let's, let's seal the deal, because Sunday I finished up the Step It Up series on Sunday morning. But uh, here's what we've been talking about when we talk about step it up. And, and you guys helped me kind of define what this means, uh, to advance, to increase the intensity of something. Man, how many of you just in your prayer life, you need to increase the intensity of your prayer life? Or how about the study of the Word? We need to step it up uh, and increase the intensity of our prayer uh, uh, or, or our, our whatever it is. Uh, to advance, to increase the intensity of something, to rise to the challenge, to lift to another level. So we've been looking at this from all angles. Uh, and so I pray that it has stirred you to a place of realizing, man, the last thing we want to de- be is mediocre and, 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 and half-baked and just kind of ho-hum, the tune is dumb, the words don't mean a thing. I'm telling you, on a personal level, Take our church family out of the picture on a personal level. All of us need to step it up in our walk with God and our spiritual uh, uh, journey with Him. Uh, and so on Sunday morning, we were looking at who? Where were we looking on Sunday morning? Talking about step it up. We were looking at who? Joshua. Joshua. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? I'm telling you, there was so much more there we could have talked about with Joshua. I'm telling you that, and I, I've told people, if you can't preach from the first five chapters of Joshua for a month, you just can't preach. You don't know what you're doing. You need to, you need to go bowling or something. I'm telling you, anybody can preach from the book of Joshua. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, David and Goliath. If you can't preach from David and Goliath, you just can't preach. Okay, so anybody, you, you, even if you're not a preacher, you can preach from Joshua. And we've looked at Joshua because he had to step it up and the children of Israel had to step it up uh, in order to get where God wanted them to be. It, it wasn't, it was no more the same old, same old. It was time to step it up and they did and they arrived into the promised land and Jericho's walls were, uh, fell down and, uh, they even, uh, stepped it up to the place. Let me tell how many of you know all the male, uh, men, uh, had to step it up in chapter five. Because they got across the river and, uh, Joshua said, Oh, by the way, uh, let's get out the flint knives. We're going to circumcise. Oh, hallelujah. Let's have a circumcision party. And they did. I mean, so that's stepping it up. Okay. Uh, and that was a sign of the covenant with God, uh, in Genesis 17 with, uh, Abraham was a sign, was the, was the sign of the covenant on our, on our flesh and, and uh, in fact, that that step it up moment with a, with a, they called the place where that happened the hill of the foreskins. Now, if you can make a hill out of foreskins, that's a lot of stepping it up. I'm telling you. And so I'm being a little humorous, but really the the institute of circumcision was so much more symbolic and and understanding of covenants so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, one of these days I may tackle that subject with you. Uh, but that's where we were on Sunday morning. Now, on Wednesday night, we were here in First and Second Timothy looking at Paul and Timothy and how really both of these letters, Paul's writing to Timothy to encourage him, to challenge him, to, to cause him to advance, to increase the intensity. 
propensity to rise to the challenge, to lift to another level, uh, to step it up in the areas of his ministry and leadership, okay? Because Paul knew his days were numbered. And he knew he needed to step it up because Paul, in fact, in Second Timothy chapter four, and uh, you'll, you know, Paul says, "I'm already being poured out as a drink offering." Man, my days are over. I'm on my way. I got, uh, man, I'm about to receive my crown of rejoicing, uh, and so you better step it up. Uh, and so, so that's what this letter is about. And it was, and 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 the cool part of this letter, it, it was not written from the angle of some you know, strict, stern, religious leader, but it was from from Paul as a father in the faith to his true son in the faith, Timothy. And so I love reading these two letters from that angle and you get like the thoughts. It's like a father writing to his son. And so it just, it's really encouraging to me. In fact, just as I'm talking off the top of my head from all that we've talked about, I love, I love, you know, he's talked to his son in the faith but like in chapter 11 of, of uh, pardon me, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 11, but you, O man of God, I love that. He looks at his son in the faith, writes him a letter, actually. He says, you, O man of God, flee these things. I just think that's awesome fatherly advice. And so uh, from, from all of that, we've learned a few things. And let me just tell you where we've been, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cap off with I, what I think is is the most important step it up insight from these two letters of all that we've talked about. But here's where we've been. Number one, we talked about, we looked at this uh, these two letters and we learned a little bit about stepping it up with our influence and involvement with those who God has placed in our lives. Just the relationship with Paul and Timothy. Paul stepped it up with his relationship with his son and Timothy stepped it up in response because Paul said, everything I was telling you, you're just listening carefully and you're responding and you're obeying. And so it's important for us to realize that we're here not just to take up space to make a difference. And then we looked at it from this angle. We need to step it up to a new level of spiritual warfare and realize that we're our soldiers. In fact, what Paul say, he, he said, he didn't say fight a good fight. He said, fight the good fight. In other words, the whole life that we live and the responsibility we have as believers and as leaders, it's a spiritual battle throughout our life. We need to continue to fight the good fight and step it up and be victorious spiritually. Number three, we talked about stepping it up to a new level in our leadership lifestyle. We looked at First Timothy 3 where he talked about the qualifications of, of deacons and elders and bishops and leaders. And from that, we, deve- we developed some some lifestyle uh, habits that all, you know, kingdom leaders and people of influence have operating in their life. And then last Wednesday, we looked at step it up to a new level of last day's ministry impact. And that's from 1 Timothy uh, 4 and really 2 Timothy uh, uh, 3, where Paul in both of those letters uh, really... Uh, causes Timothy to understand we're living in the last days. Everyone say last days. John called it the last hour. Uh, you know, John had a different perspective. Uh, you know, Timothy said last days, which is an Old Testament uh, 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 reference as well because Joel said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Well, John seemed to, I mean, he called it the last hour. My little children, it's the last hour. We're not in the last days. We're in the last hour. Uh, and, and, uh, and so, 
So we need to understand that in this last days era that we're living in, in the church being birthed, was the beginning of the last days on planet earth. We don't know how long they are. It's a season of grace. The prophetic time clock of God has stopped. I could teach you that later if you want. Uh, and there's a season when the, the, really the 490 year prophecy about the last days, it stopped and there is a season and an age of grace, uh, that Jesus, uh, gave birth to when he birthed the church. The Holy Spirit came upon the church, and we are now, as the church, uh, we were born for this. Look at your neighbor and say, we were born for this. So we need to step it up. We tend to forget that. You know, we were born, the church was born for last day's ministry impact, and that was last Wednesday. Uh, and if and if you can't get anything out of those four or five lessons, you're, if that can't light your fire a little bit, your wood's wet, and we need to dry you out a little bit. Uh, and if you've missed any of those and would like to go back and get online, you can do that. So with that in mind tonight, we're going to close out. I gave you a pretty good uh, review of everything we've talked about on Wednesday night. So let's look in 2 Timothy. Uh, and if, if you remember, I've gone through 1 and 2 Timothy. In fact, when we're in 1 Timothy, I use 2 Timothy as a confirmation type of, of uh, just when I was give you a principle from 1 Timothy, I'd show it to you a lot of times in 2 Timothy. So we've been hanging around there, but I just want to show you this last principle and the last insight, this last step it up insight that Paul is endeavoring to get across to Timothy. And he does it profoundly throughout both letters. Uh, but uh, in, this, in this last letter, he hits it hard in the beginning and then he finishes strong in the end. And here it is. It's, a, it's the necessity to step it up to a new level of gospel dedication and gospel declaration. Step it up to a new, let's read this together. Step it up to a new level of gospel dedication and gospel declaration. And let me just say, this is a process and we'll see it a little bit here in just a few moments with two scriptures we begin to kind of peel apart a little bit. Uh, you know, you got to become dedicated to the gospel before you can be a declarer of the gospel. And so you get dedicated to the truth. And then the next step is uh, it should lead you uh, to the place that you're so dedicated that you declare it. And that's what Paul hammers home with Timothy, really not only in first, second Timothy, but first Timothy. I could go back. I mean, gosh, you just go back to the beginning of first Timothy and, 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 you know, he gets, he just, uh, you know, he, 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 brings him to this understanding that the gospel is the cornerstone of everything we do and everything we say and everything we, everywhere we go. Uh, and, and so he, he hammers this home uh, uh, as he finishes out his last words, really, of encouragement to Timothy. He uses this theme rather strongly. And I want to show you two passages in 2 Timothy, and we're going to look at them and then kind of confirm it in different places. But turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, okay? In fact, I'm going to begin reading, though I'm going to show you one verse. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. He says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the what? Come on, say it out loud. For the 
Somebody say gospel. Let me just pause so you'll know we're about, he's about to infer and a little more than infer what the gospel is. But in case you don't understand what the gospel is, it's the message of Christ coming to planet earth, dying on a cross for our sins to pay the price for our sins, buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he rose again so we could have newness of life. That's how people are born again because of faith in the gospel. Are you with me? In fact, Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The good news is what it literally means. The good news of Christ. And the good news is Jesus came to planet earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, paid for our sins with his own blood so we wouldn't have to go to hell. Somebody say amen. And he, three days later, he, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he rose again. Up from the grave, he arose. Uh, mighty and triumph o'er his foes. He rose uh, the victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. Somebody say amen. It's not even Easter, and I get excited about the resurrection. That's the gospel. So here he says, I'm not ashamed. Uh, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And now he's, a begin to, he's going to begin to uh, kind of talk about the gospel who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his, his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now here it comes, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Did you get that? What did he do on the cross? He abolished death. In other words, let me tell you something. When your body dies, if you're a believer, guess what? You are not dead. You don't go, you're alive. You, you just go, you just change locations. Your last breath here will be your first breath in heaven. Okay? And so he said, man, don't be ashamed of this gospel. And then verse 11, he says, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. He said, this is my purpose in life, man. You talk about the purpose-driven life. Paul had it figured out. He, you didn't, he didn't wonder what on earth am I here for. He said, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, and I'm here to teach them the power of the gospel. Okay? For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, catch this, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed in, I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. Now we're getting close to the one verse, really the two verses that I'm going to kind of pick apart here in the first part of this book, this letter. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Everyone say, hold fast. Which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Everyone say that good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This is number one key verse here that I think that everything, these two key verses and these two key passages in this letter, really, I think everything really in all the letters revolve around these thoughts. Okay. And, and so let me just show you this first one. 
uh, in 2 Timothy 1.14. He said that good thing. I wonder what the good thing is. Anybody know what the good thing is? Anybody think about the good thing? Is Paul being vague here uh, when he says that good thing which was committed unto you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us? Now, if you just read that verse, really the first couple of verses, you would think, oh, oh maybe he's just kind of being uh, generic, you know, all the good things that God has done for you, you know, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And I've actually said that before. I mean, you could, you could, in, you know, in some way possibly, you know, that, that would work. I mean, how many of you know if God, uh, you know, did a good work in you concerning forgiveness of other people uh, and that good thing God worked in you, you know, whatever it is, you know, you, you should keep it, right? You should hang on to it. You should, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So, so it works there, but the context is clear. The context of what he's talking about is clear. How many of you know when you read a verse, you better read those above it and those below it, right? And you get a better understanding. The context is is absolutely crystal clear. He's referencing the gospel truth. The reason he's here. He's talking about his purpose-driven life and why he's on planet earth. It's, it's about the gospel. And he said, man, I've been appointed uh, to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. Somebody say the Gentiles. You know who that is? That's everybody that's not a Jew. If you remember, the Jews kind of re- kind of rejected. They did reject Jesus. So Paul, God spoke to Paul uh, and said, hey, you know, hey, and Peter and all of them, hey, you just go minister to the Gentiles. They'll, they, hey, they, everybody needs to be born again. So this good thing is the gospel. In fact, uh, look back, if you go back verse 8 that I read to you and down to verse 10, 11, hey, it, it, he's talking about the gospel. And so he says to Timothy, and this is where he's talking about being dedicated to the gospel. You got to be dedicated. You got to believe this message. In fact, I believe it so much, it doesn't matter how much I suffer. I know whom I believed in. I'm persuaded he's able to keep that I, what I've committed unto him against that day. You've got to be sold out with the understanding of the gospel in your life. And it's power and influence and the priority and our dedication to the message of the gospel. Let me say, any church that's not dedicated to the message of the gospel is a dying church. Any believer that is not dedicated to the message of the gospel that think, well, you know, hey, it, it, maybe it's not for everybody. Uh, or, you know, not everybody's going to go to hell. Listen, they don't understand that, that the whole core and reason for our being is because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, what did Jesus' last words tell the disciples and all of us? Go into all the world and make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, Lord, I'm with you. He, what, what did he say? Man, the main thing is the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. And that is the message of the gospel. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy right here. That good thing. Everybody say good thing. He's talking about the gospel. Now, Hey, let's rewind a little bit. You remember us talking about the word good because it's just, it's just littered all through these two letters. And if you look at that, that good means valuable and virtuous. Everyone say valuable and virtuous. Man, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna come at this from another angle. I might write a Bible study, uh, uh, for the good thing, 
the, the, the good in God in these two letters because it's the good fight. It's the, it's the good thing. It's the good confession. It's all in there. There's at least 12 uh, and maybe 13 things that Paul says are valuable and virtuous. So get this big picture. Paul is you know, all throughout these letters. Man, this is valuable. This is virtuous. This is what you need on and on. And he closes out this, this whole thought and, and his impartation to Timothy. Man, let me just tell you, you better get dedicated to this gospel. It's good. And it's the foundation of who we are. In fact, he says this, that good thing which was committed to you. Everyone say committed. That word committed means deposited within and alongside a deposit of sacred trust. Think about that. God comes along through the power of the gospel and deposits within us a sacred trust. Did you know the church has been given a deposit of a sacred trust? Did you know there's no plan B in case the church does not become dedicated and disciplined with the gospel to the point of declaring the gospel. The world's in trouble. And Paul tells Timothy that good thing which was committed to you, which was deposited within you, all around you, it's a deposit of a sacred trust. God has entrusted. In fact, Dr. Shibley with Global Advance wrote a book on these verses it's a pretty detailed book about the power that's called Entrusted. You could get online and, and order that if you like. He's a pretty, uh, what, do you, what do you call somebody who's very uh, uh, grammatically uh, deep and wide? He uses words, you know, he talks to Sonny and I, and he'll use a word, and we'll go, we look at each other, no, we don't know what that is. Now he thinks it's normal because he's just so smart and, and, uh, but, and so if you order the book, it's not an easy read. It's a, boy, you better, I haven't told him that. Don't you tell him I said that. But, you know, it's kind of like he doesn't understand his audience. <laughs> I'm kind of simple, but it's a great book. I've, 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 I've walked through it and he wrote a book called Entrusted based upon this word and other words. I think some translation even used the word entrusted. So you think about it. What if, what if you were stumbling through life and someone entrusted with you the secret to curing all cancer? What would you do with that? By the way, that would create a lot of suffering in your life. Did you know that? You know why? I bet Jana knows why. Because if you had the cure to all cancer, you know what you'd do? You'd put a whole lot of people out of work. And there's a lot of people who like people who have cancer because they make a lot of money off all the disease. I mean, am I right? Am I right? It's just the truth. Okay. But if you were entrusted with that cure and you went, huh, oh, and you came to church every day and sat around people who had cancer, 
Hallelujah. Or you went out into the work, work site, you know, where everybody, you had the cure, man. You had the answer that is sacred trust is committed to you. And you walk through life, you walk through Walmart and you know people, you go to, you know, people are dying of cancer and you just, Hallelujah. Good to see you. Praise the Lord, man. How about them cowboys? That, that's, man, that's, that's sad. We have been given and deposited a sacred trust. Paul said, you better, that good thing, that gospel message, you better keep it, which was committed to you. Keep, everyone say keep it. That word keep means this. It means to guard and preserve or save. Don't lose it, okay? In fact, let me show you a cross-reference. If you want to go back to 1 Timothy, uh, in fact, even if you don't, I'm going to ask you to do it. Go back to 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 11, look what, and I won't even give you the context because he's talking about some people uh, who, are, uh, who are living life contrary to sound doctrine. He says, he says, listen, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul's saying there in the first chapter, he said this glorious gospel. Somebody say glorious gospel. I just love that. He he didn't just say the gospel. He said it's glorious good news that has been entrusted to me from the, not just God, the blessed God. I'm telling you, he's having a little Pentecost. Woo, man, he is fired up about the gospel. And he comes over here in 2 Timothy. He said, you better guard and preserve this with all your life. You better find some real depth of dedication to the message of the gospel that has been entrusted and deposited as a sacred trust in your life. Oh my gosh. How am I going to do that? Oh, don't give me the cure to cancer. Oh, how would I, it's too late as Christians, we've been given and it has been deposited within us as a sacred trust. It's the answer to the cancer of sin and death. And Paul says, you better guard it, you better keep it. And then how does he say, you keep it by what? Look at there, you keep it, you guard it, protect it preserve it because he's already been, hey, both letters, he's already talked about people who are trampling on it, who are, who have forsaken it, who have not, uh, uh, the deposit was given to them, but they, 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 uh, uh, resisted it and rejected it at some point in their life. And some, and in the last days, some are not even going to believe it. They're going to, they're going to have itching ears and they're not going to believe the truth. But so you've got to guard and preserve this message. You can't lose this. Sadly, in the church, uh, in many cases around the world, the, the priority of the gospel has been watered down. And we think more about our money and our stuff and how to entertain our kids. Listen, if your kids are going to hell and they don't have the gospel, there's nothing to entertain. Are you with me? And so I'm just trying to get this hammered home here. Uh, And he says, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us will help us keep it. Amen? Amen. So with that in mind, I'm going to kind of expand that thought a moment. The capacity to keep is developed by way of our choices. 
Because look what he says in verse 13. Hold fast. Everybody say, hold fast. He said, hold fast. What do we hold fast? The pattern of sound words, which he's told them. He said, you, what I've been teaching you, you better hang on to it. You better make some choices here of what you're going to hang on to because I'm about to be out of here. I'm about to be gone. What are you going to hold to? What are you going to adhere to? What are you going to, uh, you know, g- get a grip on? And what are the choices you're going to make? Because you, no more following me around. I'm out of here. You're the cho- you are now the leader and the choices you make so I, you know, he's, he's pretty stout with him here. In fact, the next chapter, he, and the next verse we're going to look at, he's stout, stout with this understanding. So he says, hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me. In other words, Paul's teaching for us, what would that be? The word of God. Am I correct? The, sa- the foundation of teaching, the pattern, the Word of God. So let me do, from that understanding, let me give you four things that I see in really just chapter one that are, that are, that, that are part of the pattern, uh, that, that, that are God's Word that we need to hang on to if we're going to be able to keep this message of the gospel alive and well in our lives. Number one, the pattern of sound words concerning our faith. Everybody say our faith. Now, how many of you know faith is the key to the gospel? Just because you know the message of the gospel, if you don't have faith in the gospel, the gospel does nothing for you. And we all know that. For by grace, you are saved through faith. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Everyone say, by grace. In other words, God's unmerited favor. You are saved. That means born again, becoming a child of God. For by grace you were saved, become a born again child of God. By what? Faith. Faith in what? Faith in the finished work of cross, of the cross. Faith in the gospel. Remember what Romans said. If we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So faith in the message of the gospel, okay? So he, he, he hits this pretty clear. In fact, he begins the letter by, by rejoicing real, really concerning his son in the faith. He said, I thank God whom I serve, verse 3, with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, everyone say genuine faith. That means unhypocritical, clear, pure, the, the, the real deal faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. I'm persuaded that it's in you also. Little, You want to pause just for a second? Isn't that about par for the course? You want me to prove it to you? You want to count the women in here and then the men? No, we don't want to do that. But isn't that par for the course? Rise up, O man of God. But you, O man of God, I love it. He was a grandma's boy and a mama's boy. I mean, he was, where was daddy? We don't know where daddy was. We don't know what going to, didn't say anything about daddy's faith. So thank God for mom and grandma. 
okay, who stepped it up with their grandson and their son, Timothy. And so, so he said, man, you got the real deal. And then he, then he talks about his faith. I, man, verse 12, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I've believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And then he hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith and in love. I'm telling you, he's keeping him engaged with, with this is, this is the key to the gospel's success. In fact, what did Paul, you know, the revelation, uh, come to Paul concerning the just shall live by what? Faith. They don't live by obeying the rules. They live by faith. It was the revelation. It was the, it was the, uh, upsetting the religious apple cart of the day to suggest that you don't need the law anymore. You All you need is the mercy and the grace of God, and the law is just a shadow of the grace and the, uh, you know, in fact, what the Bible say about the law. It's just a babysitter until the, God's plan could unfold concerning the message of the gospel. Amen? In fact, all the Old Testament stuff is just a picture of the gospel. Remember Abraham and Isaac? It's a message of the gospel. Oh, we got a sacrificial lamb coming in here to take the place. You got it? Everybody say, I got it. And so Paul says, hey, let me tell you, keep, let me tell you, you're going to keep the message of the gospel, uh, power packed in your life. It's by the sound words and the teachings concerning faith. Here's another one. Uh, the sound words and the pattern of sound words concerning our flame. Here comes the preacher in me. Look in 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. After he says, man, I see that faith in you. I see it in your grandmother and in your mother. Uh, and I'm persuaded it's in you also. Therefore, everybody say, therefore... Because you got faith, let me tell you what to do with what's been in given to you through the laying on of the hands of the elders. He said, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That word stir up means to fan into flame. Everybody do this and go. <sighs> what's he saying? Let me tell, he's telling him, man, in fact, what is the flame of God in our life? You know, the Holy Spirit's been, you know, the symbolic of another way. He's the oil of the Holy Spirit, the, the water, but he's also the, what happened when the people got filled with the Holy Ghost? What popped on their head? A flame and Pentecost. And so Paul's telling Timothy, stir up. I think he's talking about the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his life. Fan it into flame. Keep the Holy Spirit. How are you going to keep these things? How are you going to hold fast this pattern of sound words? How are you going to keep that which is committed to you against that day? By the power and the fire of God burning bright in you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Everybody go, hallelujah. Woo. And I want to tell you, all of us need a fresh dose of fire of God in our life where we get to, we get set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit where we, where we know, man, I am being consumed by His presence in a good way. All that is me is being burned out and He, the Holy Spirit, is flowing and filling and, 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 and cleansing my life. And let me tell you, that's how you keep the gospel alive. You keep faith alive. You keep the flame of God, the Holy Spirit alive. And then the, the other one is, how do you keep it through the pattern of sound words? And here's another one, through the 
through the sound words concerning our focus in life, or we could say purpose, and we've already talked about it. In fact, he says in verse 9, he saved us and called us with a holy calling. I just wonder what church would be like if 25% of every church Anybody, all the active church members, if just 25% of them woke up in the morning and realized, OMG, he saved me and called me with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Let me just talk to our younger crowd here tonight. We've got a few teenagers, got a few young uh, college students. Uh, and let me just say to you, listen, in all that you do and everything you pursue, you know, uh, I've, two out of three of my kids pursued college degrees uh, and, and they're actively involved. I'm not talking, I'm not being negative towards that. That's good. That's wonderful. My son's new album is already out. It's, it's in CD print. Uh, I mean, he's doing God's plan. He pursued, they all, uh, hey, listen, all those things, listen, are just poor what we, from whence we stay focused on the power of the gospel. Are you with me? And Paul brings it to, in fact, he said, I'm appointed to this. This is my appointment. This is my purpose. Uh, it's to bring the gospel to everybody that I can for as long as I can. For as much as I can, as fast as I can, you keep that burning bright in you, that purpose of God burning bright in you, that focus, hey, you'll keep the gospel alive and well in your life. You'll guard it. And then the fourth one is the capacity to keep is developed by way of our choice to hold fast the pattern of sound words concerning our future. Now, this is big and this is wide because our future, did you know our future on planet earth is terminal? But we tend to forget that. But Paul with Timothy, because Paul knew I'm about over here. I'm about out of here. He was excited about it, by the way. You've been through all the stuff he's been through. Hey, adios. And that's kind of how he was. But he's trying to get Timothy to that place as well. In fact, Look in chapter 1, verse 12b. He said, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep. Now, here's an interesting thing. Paul is about to tell Timothy to keep the power of the gospel. But Paul, before that, he says, I'm persuaded, my faith is, he's going to be able to keep, that's the same word, what I've committed unto him until that day. You see, what Paul did in order to keep his commitment alive or the gospel, he committed to the thing. He committed to it. He said, he's able to keep what I've committed to him. Now look at those last three words. Somebody say them out loud, real loud. Anybody want to say them? Until that day. Everybody say until that day. Now he's not talking about Christmas. He's not talking about Memorial Day or, you know, or, you know, Thanksgiving. He's not talking about those kind of days. He's talking about the day that life on planet Earth or else my life ceased to exist. 
He's talking about stepping into eternity and causing us to realize. And let me tell you something. When, if you want to keep the gospel, be dedicated to the message of the gospel, you need to understand something about life on planet earth. It's terminal. And people who die without the gospel go straight to a devil's hell for all eternity. And Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand that. In fact, let me show you something in 2 Timothy 4. Let me see. There's a lot here. Oh, verse 1. I just want to read verse 1. Oh, then I may read verse 8, but here we go. Verse 1, I charge you, therefore, we're going to look at this again, but I want you to see this from this context of eternity. I charge you, therefore, before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. What's he saying, Timothy? You, the way you live life on planet Earth, it's terminal. And understand, you're living in the last days. We're going to stand before God and give an account of how we lived our life on planet Earth. And, and he won't be all tickled about, you know, our, our, our nice house and our big bank account. All he wants to know is how many people did we usher into the kingdom of God. Because then he says, preach the word. Now look down in verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to, not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, those who understand, man, life on planet Earth's terminal. I'm, I'm looking forward. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Those four things, those four, those four foundational Biblical truths will help us make the right choices in life and keep the message of the gospel, the dedication to the gospel as paramount in our life. Woo! Man, that came out better than I thought. And I've only, that's the first verse. Let me just hit the next one. You're going, going over to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Look at these five verses. This is how he's closing it out, folks. He's, he's, he's telling Timothy, you've got to step it up to a new level of gospel dedication that will bring you to a place of gospel declaration. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, you know what he tells Timothy? God's hearing what I'm saying to you. This is not just between me and you. God's heard it, the Lord Jesus Christ heard it, and they're going to back it up. <laughs> I mean, this is the stoutest, strongest admonition to Timothy of anything and any topic, all the other topics which are strong and stout. This is, the, this is where he gets the stoutest right before he finishes. He's ending these two letters with an exclamation point about the necessity and the responsibility to not only be dedicated to the message of the gospel, but began to declare the message of the gospel. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Catch this, preach the word. Everyone say preach the word. 
That means to herald as a public crier the divine truth of the gospel. You remember in old-timey days, you didn't grow up in old-timey days. You might have seen a picture in your history book or something because there was no, it was before really in the biblical days, it was before the days of newspaper. Uh, but, uh, uh, but even in the days of newspaper, you remember this, the newspaper boy, uh, he would stand on the corner. He'd go extra, extra, read all about it. Extra, extra. Y'all don't hear that. You've never heard that. Faith, you're looking at me like a calf stares in a new gate because you're so young. It comes to you on your phone. You get the news, you get everything. But that was a public crier. And before the Met before there was even print and when you know the if they had to get a message out you know it's kind of like Paul Revere I mean it just uh, you know that was standing on the corner shouting this is the word it's a bold declaration of the power of the gospel Preach the word. Everybody say, preach the word. Then he says, be ready in season and out of season. In other words, there's no inopportune time. We need to be ready when you think you need to be ready and when you think you don't need to be ready. Because when you think you don't need to be ready, you need to be ready. In other words, you need to be, everybody say, be ready. We've got to be ready at any given time to, to, to share the gospel, to preach, to be prepared at all times. And then he uses three words. He says this, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Uh, you know, they're different. It's like different, different strokes for different folks. How many of you know some people just need to be convinced? They just need to be, you need to hear them and they understand. And, and, and how many of you know some people need a good, strong rebuke in their life? They need a word. And listen, if you you don't get saved, you're going to go straight to hell. Some people just need to be exhorted about, you know, they're different people. It's like my three kids. They all, you corrected them all differently. I tried correcting my kids, uh, you know, the, the same, but it didn't work because they're all different. They all, some just needed convincing. And, and I had special ways of doing that. Some needed rebuking, some needed exhorting. Uh, and, and what he's, what Paul's saying here is, man, in all of this, there's, you gotta understand that you gotta come at people from all directions, all ways and means, uh, to get them to the place. You gotta be patient, long suffering with this thing. This is not easy. This isn't, this, hey, if it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. Uh, I wouldn't have to be telling you this because everybody'd be doing it. This is, this is serious business. You're dealing with people's eternity. Uh, people are lost and going to hell. In fact, he says, for the time will come when some will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap upon them teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. See, this ain't easy, but you got to be ready. You got to be on guard. You got to preach the word. You, hey, God's watching. Jesus is watching uh, and he's going to come back someday and he's, you're going to answer to him about what I'm telling you right now. So with, you better convince, be ready to boldly declare the gospel, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. In other words, don't give up, don't quit. Just because somebody said no, somebody made fun of you, Paul said, we're suffering there. Paul said, 
Romans 1.16, I quoted it earlier. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you with me? Say amen. And then he says this in this passage, verse 5. But you be watchful in all things. In other words, in the middle of this world that is going to hell in a hurry, turning away from the truth, turning aside their ears from the truth, resisting sound doctrine. In other words, man, this is not, this is, let me just tell you, there have been seasons within the church, of which I've been a part, where it just seems so easy to get people saved. You know, we call it the charismatic movement. People get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Big waves of revival and people being born again and by the thousands filled with the Holy Spirit and just, whoo, man. You know, I was raised in that and therefore I thought that's just the way it would always be. And so it was frustrating when I realized that uh, there come a season when you had to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. When you're not the, the most popular thing in town. He said, be watchful and endure afflictions. That word watchful, remain sober. Endure afflictions. But catch this, and do the work of an evangelist. Somebody say, do the work of an evangelist. Let me tell you what Timothy probably was not. Timothy was not an evangelist. In fact, it's pretty clear that Timothy was timid because Paul had to tell him in this first chapter, stir up the gift of God within you, which is given to you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And then he says, listen, this is, this is the work environment <laughs> in these last days is harsh. And do the work of an evangelist. Paul was not, Timothy was undoubtedly not an evangelist. But Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. Let me just tell you this. Operating outside of our primary gifting is work. But at times, and this is that time, it has to be done. How many of you know just because you're not a blank doesn't mean sometimes you have to I'm not a janitor. You know what I'm not? I'm not a roofer. But you know what I do pretty regularly around here at Church on the Rock North? I come up on that roof and caulk cracks. And we had a big leak crop up over here this year. And I went up there and I found it and caulked it up. I'm not a roofer. I'm cheaper than a roofer. And the reason, and so at times, the pastor has to do the work of a roofer. In fact, Jeremy stirred me up. Jeremy said, you know, when that thing cropped up, he said, he said, I got a friend or somebody who's a roofer. I think maybe they give us a good, he said, and I'll actually give a little money. Uh, and we get everybody, we can just go together and throw in a little money. Maybe, you know, with this, we can get this fixed. Well, I thought about that. And I thought, well, before we go to that, Pastor Sam needs to get up there with a caulking gun and, and a 
And it took me about 30 seconds. Saved us a bunch of... I had to do... The, I did the work of a roofer. Aren't you glad you don't have a pastor? Go, well, just better hire a roofer. Well, from this standpoint, Paul's telling Timothy, let me tell you something. The dedication uh, and the declaration, listen, you may be looking at me going, but this is not my niche. It doesn't matter in these last days. You better do this work. This is why we're all here. Then he says this, fulfill your ministry. You know what he's telling him? I know you're not an evangelist, but now you know what it's time to do? Step it up. Everybody say step it up. I'm going to tell you, these, this Paul hit this This gospel message stout and strong in the end of this, these two letters. And all of us need to step it up, myself included. Because people are born again because of the message of the gospel. People go to heaven because faith in the message of the gospel. And there comes a time in all of our lives on some level or any level where we've got to step it up. Especially with the message of the gospel. Let's read this closing thought together. There are times in all of our lives, on some level or every level, where we must step it up. And this is the time for us to step it up as a church family, as believers, especially concerning the message of the gospel in our lives. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand together and pray. I want us all to just begin to thank God for the gospel, for the glorious gospel, that Paul called it the glorious gospel. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, let us live a life and step it up to a whole new dedication to the gospel in our life. Let the gospel be the cornerstone of who we are. And the building block of, from which everything else we do is connected. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. And we pray tonight, Lord, that we would be able to not only be dedicated to the message of the gospel and thankful and gracious to you for the message of the gospel, but you would help us become people of great declaration concerning the gospel. That we would open our mouth and begin to share the story of Christ and how the gospel has made a difference in our life. Let us not only be dedicated, but Lord, let us be a declarer of the gospel. The good news that you died for us, you came and lived a sinless life, you died on the cross. Your blood was shed as payment for our sin, for the atonement and the cleansing of our sin. 
You were buried in a borrowed tomb and three days later you rose again so we too could have a new life. Thank you for the gospel. We believe it. We rely upon it. We're going to keep it, guard it, because it has been committed into our trust as a sacred trust. Not just hold secret, but Lord, to boldly declare it to a world that is lost and without Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.